Hey ghouls, happy hump day, and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks, and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey, spooky babes. Welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast. I am joined by our resident spooky ghoul, Lindsay. How are you doing? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been all right, thanks. Uh, After I've got my bathroom fitted, I've just went and got a new bed today. So I'm looking forward to trying that out tonight after we finish recording. Oh, and you've had a bath recently as well. Like You're just living your best life now. You've got everything sorted. <laughs> like, I've only had one bath this week and I'm just like, like itching to find a time to like have another one. <laughs> so after work tomorrow, a Friday night, I'll be in the bath for a couple hours, I think. Oh, exciting. I'm going to be, I'm getting everything prepped to go to um, Aberdeen Comic Con on Saturday. And it's quite, Ooh. it's quite funny because like at first I was like, I don't think I'm going to go to this because it looks a bit shite to be honest. But in the past week, the lineups actually look pretty good. Like today, they announced that the actor that plays Gimli in Lord of the Rings is going to be there. So it's like, no way. Yeah. And um, the guy that plays Andy in the first two Chucky movies is going to be there as well. So pretty oh my good. God. Oh, that will be good. Um, and then there's like, I a- just, oh, you go. I, I just saw in the lineup that there was like a load of actors from Still Game going. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I would love to. Like, I semi recently like rewatched the whole series again. And then yet again was like kicking myself for not going to the live shows when they happened. Cause like, that's it. They're all done now. Like, they're never going to do it again. And I'm just like, oh, I loved it so much. You know, you could always take a train up and visit me. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh. I know it's the wrong side of payday for me though. <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be seeing you like a week today or no tomorrow, because we'll be in Newcastle. So we will, yeah. Oh my god, that's come around so quickly. Yeah, so we've been talking about it for ages. Uh, this is us finally going to see Dracula uh, live. If anyone else is going, please let us know. Please do. Cannot wait to see the boules in the flesh and. Dali will need wet floor signs. It's a glory fever. Oh, so so excited. <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna bring my 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 armbands, which you call them like floaties. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> everybody just absolutely gushing over Dali. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. But anyway, <laughs> enough about that. We'll spill all the tea about that next week after we've been. But um today. Lindsay, what we're talking about today is part of our celebration of women in horror. What's the theme? So this week we are looking at horror films that deal with issues pertaining to women. Um, Just a kind of 
PSA because I guess this if any of our episodes are going to get any kind of flack from any potential incels who just want to have a <laughs> moan at us it would be this one it just said that we're we fully understand that there are many issues pertaining to men as well in terms of um, the way their bodies should look and the societal standards placed on them but it is Women's History Month this month, it's our Women in Horror Month this month, and we want to talk about the ones pertaining to women. Uh, but I'm sure we will cover ones pertaining to men at some point in the future. But it's Ladies Month, we're going to do lady things. Exactly. I could not have said it better myself. And on that note, what did you choose for today's episode? So I picked Black Swan. And why did you choose that? I, I like you know what? It wasn't the first thing that came to mind for me, but I'm actually so glad that you chose it because it's been a while since I've seen it. Um so the first thing that like popped into my head regarding Black Swan is that I feel like it deals with the the standards put on women. It's very much all about like the Madonna whore trope and how women are expected to be both and in an effort to achieve both how damaging it it can be on women um obviously black swan very much focuses on that in terms of ballet but i feel like there's so much you can extrapolate from this and put it into other aspects of everyday life like the uh, perceived perfectionism we see on Instagram and the really negative effects we see that having on teenagers and then the the rise of different like plastic surgeries and like body modifications that people will go through to meet the trend and then once that trend's over like they've spent thousands of pounds of money to meet this idea of perfect but the perfect is uh, like ever-changing and I think as well it's interesting that this film was directed by a man because you can see some ways in which I feel like men are putting their own stereotypes on women in this um, and it doesn't always work so I think that's quite interesting as well. Yeah definitely like looking at it recently you can definitely see that dynamic it's the virgin mary and then the mary magdalene and like you say women have to be both and it's the eternal struggle with that and then you know this film also touches a lot on mental health as well because i mean yeah. our, our protagonist is coded as having ocd and really severe anxiety and the relationship that she has with her mother there's like so much to talk about with this film so i'm excited to get into it the film that i chose a very different film, is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Now, this is often what I wanted to talk about for a while, just because I it's it's like it's not a film for everyone. I will say that. It's a very art housey type film. There's not particularly that much dialogue, but it came out in 2014 and it went around the festival circuit. So it was it came out and it was released um during Sundance. And in the past couple of years, I've seen kind of more people talk about it from a feminist perspective, because, you know, with our um, protagonist in the film, it's a nameless woman. The film is written and directed by a woman as well. And it just shows quite, it's just quite interesting elements on it in terms of like sexuality and the way women are sexually pursued. And there's kind of the revenge side of it and women taking power and like stylistically, it's a very interesting film. It's a black and white film. It's a very like 
gothic kind of style film almost the likes of like the lighthouse or black sunday it's those kind of vibes so and i know you've never seen it before so i'm really excited to see what you think about it but we're going to start off with black swan so take it away Lindsay. i had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan but her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself He promised to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. Our new swan queen, the exquisite Nina Sayers. I'm Lily. You're gonna be amazing. I watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it. Seducers, attack it! Attack it! Come on! Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl. Feel my touch. Respond to it. So was hot for teacher. I don't want to talk about that. You really need to relax. It's the role, isn't it? It's all this pressure. I knew it'd be too much. I knew it. What's she doing here? He made me your alternate. The only person standing in your way is you. So the IMDb plot for Black Swan is a committed dancer struggles to maintain her sanity after winning the lead role in a production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. This film came out in 2010, stars Natalie Portman, Mila Kunis, Vincent Cassell, Winona Ryder and Barbara Hershey. It's directed by... Darren Aronofsky and was written by Mark Heyman, Andres Hines and John J. McLaughlin. So we we did kind of briefly speak about it there but had you seen this film before? Yeah I had seen this film before so I actually I think I saw it when it came out. I didn't see it in the cinema but I saw it relatively soon after and what's interesting was a lot of the like hubbub I heard about it from men was the like lesbian sex scene between Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis I feel like that's what everyone was talking about you know when this came out I was like my early teens maybe um there's so much more to this film than that but of course that was the thing that got talked about you know yeah um I was actually listening to a podcast review of this film very recently and as much as like that was the thing that was talked about, one thing I will give for that like sex scene is that I feel like it's a proper women loving women sex scene. I mean, like, oh, yeah. she's wiping her mouth after going down on her. You don't even see that in porn. Like, it, it's it's I, actually quite realistic. Exactly. So I will give that for it. But yeah, definitely, Natalie Portman, Mila Kunis are both very beautiful ladies. And um, men, well, men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like 
I don't want to talk about Dan Aronofsky too much because obviously we're doing Women in Horror Month, but I feel like I do have to speak about him a bit because his films are, so, I feel like his films are so unique and particularly his horror films. Uh, we have This Requiem for a Dream and Mother. All three films, a lot of people be like, that's not horror, but they are. Um, Requiem for a Dream is like so haunting I've never been able to watch it ever again since I saw it and probably won't until we get around to doing it for the podcast and then similarly with Mother as much as it's not like my favorite film in the world I can appreciate the vision that he was going for in it I think it shows like how creative he really is yeah that's really interesting I've not seen that film that you just mentioned but I've seen Mother before as well and it's so interesting because like you say like when people think of Black Swan or Mother they think that's not a horror film it absolutely is a horror film it's a psychological horror film and there is still the gore elements in it as well but as we've said time and time again a horror film doesn't need to have jump scares every two seconds it doesn't need to be a bloodbath to be a horror film so this definitely stands in the genre and I think like with Aronofsky, he seems to deal a lot with like tortured artists and mental health. Like in his first film, Pie, like it's about like a mathematician and someone who's trying to use numbers to figure out the meaning of life. And in the end, he decides to damage his brain for the sake of his own happiness because it's like destroying him. And then like in this film, Nina basically makes the ultimate sacrifice for her art. Um, in the wrestler, which is very much like a like a sibling piece to this, it came out two years before. Um, Mickey Rourke's character ends up dying for the art of professional wrestling, so it's like this obsession with perfectionism, and I feel like that's probably a bit of Aronofsky putting himself into his films because from what I heard from the mother um cinema shoot he was dating the lead actress at the time and uh, Jennifer Lawrence and I think the whole the whole making of the film and the press tour basically tore them apart because it was just such a, a horrible process for him because he's such a perfectionist so I found that very interesting <laughs> So um, the plot follows Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman, um, who works for the New York City Ballet Company. And um, they decide that they're going to put on a showing of Swan Lake. There is a bit of discussion at the start of this film amongst the dancers, um, which I thought was very interesting regarding ageism. And I was looked up like the ages of the actresses and um, Beth McIntyre, who's played by Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder was 38 when this film came out. Really? And yeah, and they talk about her being like approaching menopause. She's not old. No. Um, but that kind of ties in with this like obsession with youth that is in ballet and we see more and more of this from Nina throughout the film she's very much infantilized by her mother and you just 
a lot of her mannerisms, the way she talks, you, it's not like what how a grown up would speak. It's very um, baby like, isn't it? It's doll like. We've spoken about that a couple of mm. times when we spoke about. Um, I think it was the invitation. Where we had a character that was like that as well. So, yeah, you can. And that is a known thing in ballet, like a lot of sports, actually, likes of figure skating as well. Um, You know, it's a case of once you turn or gymnastics, it's like when you turn like 25, you're seen as old and haggard and that's your career, which is really devastating because a lot of these dancers start, you know, working to the bone from a very, very young age. They're grafting their entire lives. They give up their entire body for their art to then have a very short-lived career that that is thing about ballet like because they get you in three or four yeah like by the time you're in your mid-20s that's your ballet career done and in terms of like your body your feet are deformed you have hip problems um like you ruin your body for this art form and that's not even talking about all the young girls who will start doing ballet and then as they're getting a bit older and the ballet teachers start noticing that they're going to have a bum and a, a big set of boobs and they're like, this isn't for you and freeze them out because there is a specific way they want the ballet dancers to look and for women it is having these boyish figures but on the flip side for men they want them to be have the like the pinnacle of the male body the like the inverted triangle they want them to be quite muscly on top and very and come down to like a really petite bottom so yeah it, it can't be the fun of this experience in the world and you really have to love it to stick with it yeah I remember um with um I think most people know who Dita Von Teese is I mean she's the mm. biggest burlesque performer in the world but before she did burlesque she was a ballet dancer I think it was at like 16 she was she was at that point where she was going to make it like her professional career and I think she was going to go to this really prestigious ballet academy but because of her figure she wasn't allowed to do it so that's when she went into burlesque they're like you're too you're too busty you're too like curvaceous like you're not suited for it you can't do it so she had to give that up um I mean she's had a great career after which is amazing but yeah like you said you can't physically control what your body looks like sometimes it's just genetics and to have that thrown in your face like don't care how skilled you are you're not getting in it's horrendous it's cutthroat yeah just purely based on the way you look. The artistic director Thomas holds these auditions and he wants one person to play the role of the innocent and fragile white swan Odette and the dark and sensual black swan Odile. And um, Nina auditions for the role and she gives a, like a flawless Odette performance but not so much Odile. So I think in terms of talking about the Madonna whore trope, like Nina is our Madonna, like down pat, she's sweet and demure. And even you can see this even in like the way she dresses, pastel pinks, whites, like this fluffy scarf that she has on, very angelic. She has worked so hard over these years to nail every single move perfectly. But 
being ordeal, being a bit reckless, having flaws does not come quite so easily to her. Um, what do we what do we think of this scene? Because it very much sets us up for what this film is going to be about. I mean, it's a beautiful scene, and like even from the start, the score is stunning. But yeah, you can see the way it's set up. She is seen as our Madonna straight away. Like even if you like don't fully know those tropes, I think you can see that straight away. It's um, you know, these two kind of tropes battling against each other. Um, you can just see the dedication as well in her eyes she's like I am going to, even at this point I mean you know we get fully into this descent of it as the film goes on but you already tell that she's she's in this for like life pretty much um desperately wanting this it's like her dream role it's what she's worked for her entire life you can just see the blood sweat and tears in her eyes um what I love about this scene as well is when she is doing Odile's dance and she's doing those pirouettes and it comes back onto Vincent Cassell's face every time, like the camera spins with her and he's just going, attack, attack. I love the way that's shot. I think it's so cool. Like I've I've never really seen anything like that before. The cinematography throughout this film is absolutely fucking amazing. Like it it almost makes you as a viewer so paranoid, especially as we get the descent of of our um, protagonist, you know, from the mirrors to like even in the the elevator lifts the reflections like you're constantly looking at the screen trying to find like figures and like yeah it's it's really cool so feeling like she's completely messed up this audition she actually goes to Tomas' office the next day to be like please reconsider like I really want this role I know I can do it because she has the technical skill like I'm I'm no authority on dance whatsoever, but you can definitely tell the picture that's trying to be portrayed from the film. She has all the skills necessary to be the lead role, and she also knows that she can do this. She just messed up that audition, which happens to the best of us. So then he's really trying to pull like the other half of this trope, the whore, out of her. A lot because he... I think likes having sexual affairs with his leading ladies of the dance company. You know, Beth, you know, at the, at the grand old age of 38, it's too old for him now. So he wants to replace her with someone else. Can I also just say, whoever did the hair and makeup on this thing, not it was on purpose, but they made Winona Ryder look so much older than what she is. She's only 38 in this film. They're she re- looks about 50. They really tried to and she her- is 50 now, and she looks younger. <laughs> she looks so haggard, and Winona Ryder is beautiful. And we've seen yeah. her and stuff since that then. She looks stunning, but it's like the messed up hair and the eyes that are like so dark, and they're like really trying to be like, this bitch is old. It's like, okay, mm. th- 38, are you the crypt keeper now? No, <laughs> like, come on. Exactly. But I think, again, like, we see this a lot in the media and stuff, like, and this this is what I mean, and you can kind of tell this was written by a man, because we see in the media all the time about women being pitied against each other. Also, like, during the making of this film, Aronofsky would send Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman, like, messages to the, the other one and be like, 
like he'd send something to me like could have been like oh Natalie Portman was amazing today like you are gonna have to perform so well to keep up with her blah 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 little did he know that they were actually really good friends and whenever he said that they were just really happy for each other because they're really good friends so it's always these male males in the media who try and pit these women against each other and it's so funny because a lot of the time it doesn't actually work because they're trying to pit these people against each other who are the best in their field and they're just really happy for them yeah exactly that's just we don't need that in the world as women we struggle enough like if anything we should be supporting one another so I'm really glad to hear that that wasn't the case and like they actually didn't hate each other because like you said when you get to that level you're not competing against each other you're just happy for one another and to probably have the opportunity to work together because I can imagine they probably admired each other's work yeah like I think Aronofsky was trying to like behind trying to get make it more believable the rivalry they were having on screen but they're both such good actresses that it just happened anyway because they've been friends for years so and I think he thought they didn't really know each other um but yeah he should have just left them to it um like this film makes me think about was it last year with Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka and it was like the the ingenue versus the OG and they were all trying to do this big thing and like Osaka was just like Serena Williams is my hero like I'm so happy to be doing this I think she actually won and Serena Williams was just like you know she's up and coming I lost we played a good game it's all good um but here it's not really the same like Beth kind of hates Nina but it's not really because of the dance company I think it's just being replaced like she's being replaced as Tomas lover this is what like Beth thinks anyway and as the lead because she's too she's been told she's like she's too old nobody wants to see you anymore like it's very different yeah it is very different it go it goes completely beyond being part of the dance company as you say it's there's the relationship side of it as well and imagine being told like constantly from everyone around you that this is the end for you it's the end of your career it's the end of your life to then have this beautiful young upcoming performer take your place like you're not going to be in the best frame of mind anyway um no. so it is a different situation entirely got ahead myself though <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah Nina asked Tomara to reconsider the the role like after having messed up her audition and then he just forces himself on her and I was like, I completely forgot about this. Like, I was the same as you. I hadn't seen this since it came out. I was just like, what the hell is going on? He is such a fucking predator. He's, oh, he's such a creep. He is the antagonist of this film. Like, I, I forgot kind of as well, like, just how awful of a human being he is and just preys upon these women. Straight off the bat there, it's like he... You're trying to pull this per- side of her personality out, but you don't have to. You're assaulting someone. Like, she didn't ask you to do that. At the end of the day, that's assault. Yeah, and then she bites him. Like, she bites his lip. And, like, we can kind of see later on, it, 
it almost encourages him. Like, I, I just feel like that was, you know, in those situations, a lot of folks say it, it's like fight or freeze. Yeah. And she would just kind of froze at first, and then that was her way to fight. Like, she's, you know, she's very, very petite. She's not going to be able to, like, push him off, but by biting him, that kind of... And I felt like that was her way of just being, like, like trying to get him away. Mm-hmm. But he loved it. Like, it just turned him on. And I don't think he's, like, got the message. I think he kind of... I think he he knows what he's doing and I think he thinks of it as a chase in quotation marks yes, and it's part of the that's chase. exactly it. Yeah. So in this um, encounter, like Tomas said that he's going to give the role to Veronica so like not to worry about it and Nina like congratulates Veronica for her to turn around and be like, why are you such a cow? Because And then it dawns on her that he's given it to her. Um, and it's like the way she runs to the toilets and phones her mum. Like again, it's very juvenile behaviour. Um, so there is a gala to uh, promote the new production, and this must be the way the the company, the dance company, makes money. And lots of lots of people with too much money giving donations. Um, so here, like Beth has a bit of a a drunk breakdown regarding the situation like they've made this big announcement that she's retiring and that's not really the case she's been forced out and you know I can't imagine that was you know a great experience for her no having to put on a face when you're like actually the reality is not that no exactly and Beth says to Tomar that she'll like um no she accuses Nina rather of um performing sexual acts on Toma Toma to um, get the role so I guess this kind of leads us to think that like Beth and Toma have been having a sexual relationship for a long time because you know we've already seen him try and do it on Nina so it's not exactly surprising so the next day it turns out that Beth has been hit by a car Uh, Toma believes this was a suicide attempt by Beth and then again, with you know, and it's just that's not very far into the film, but the way these lasses like eat, sleep, breathe, dance, and like these little opportunities to be in the spotlight and to be Thomas' favorite potential potentially as well, it, like she could very well have done it on purpose like this could have been a suicide attempt but it's never really made a hundred percent clear no I think it's up to audience interpretation I mean in my I don't know about you but in my opinion I wouldn't be surprised if it was legitimate because of everything that she's gone through and like you've given up your life for this career to then have it taken away from you she's probably thinking at that point well what have I got left exactly so Nina visits Beth in the hospital and like sees Beth's injuries and Nina has like such like an adverse reaction to this because I think again the dancing is so in their blood like she sees those like like cages to try and like realign her leg 
and just knows that Beth will never be able to dance again. Like it hurts Nina to see it because it's just like she knows how she feels about dancing and she's like Beth if Beth has been the lead for all this time she must feel the same way as me and she knows that this will just like hurt Beth's soul so much and it hurts Nina as I think just seeing it. Yeah one thing I really like about this film is like the physical elements because when we think of ballet we think of it being very pretty it's very pretty Mm. and it's very like polished and juvenile really um but this film shows like the kind of nittier grittier side of it even from like you know like even the physio that's done on Nina like I find that quite gruesome to watch and like with the feet and everything and like the deformities that they have on their bodies and I I was messaging you this earlier in the week like the skin pulling and the scratch like it's it's quite gruesome but that's the reality of it it's not pretty like what you're putting your body through yeah exactly I find the the scratching interesting as well because it's like a form of self-harm that people don't really think about off an awful lot like I think when you see when you hear the term self-harm you think about cutting um and it's not it's not always that it's scratching and skin pulling and hair pulling and um picking at your skin and all these other little things that maybe don't need leave as notable of a mark um but are all still like part and partial of the same thing which is self-harm a hundred percent um they're all very legitimate forms of self-harm and when it comes to the scratching as well like as somebody that has eczema and I've had really severe eczema before where I've been in the hospital and like I wouldn't wish skin issues like that like scratches like that I've had that on myself and it is so painful and you wouldn't want to inflict that on yourself you know normally but if you're in a stable state of mind if not that is a form of self-harm yeah absolutely um so let's talk about Nina's home life for a second because the the whole setup with Nina and her mum Erica personally makes me very uncomfortable um we're not we're not given an age for Nina but Natalie Portman was 28 when she filmed this so I don't know if we should assume that Nina is the same age um I mean definitely over 21 we see later that her and Lily go out to a bar yeah much too old to be as infantilized as she is um what do you think of Nina's home life yeah it's very much it just makes you uncomfy like there's being close with your family and then that's just it's it I think it goes beyond the point of codependency as well um you know like especially the scene that made me really uncomfortable is when she's in her bed and she's like going through some self-gratification and then she sees her mum sleeping in the room with her that made me so uncomfortable and just like yeah you know the her mum's almost treating her like a doll because like she's Mm. brushing her hair and changing her clothes and putting her in the bath and like she shouts at her with her scratches and that like she sees her in all kind of states it's just like there's there's no line there's no there's no privacy or boundaries afforded to Nina at all and I think in, I think they alluded in the um, film again with age that Nina's mum was like 28 when she had her. Mm. And um, 
just kind of seen as that's the, that's the end of my career that's the end of my life so there's an age thing be it there as well and I feel like she's like trying to live her life vicariously through Nina but also trying to protect her and wants wants to keep her all to herself because she doesn't have well it doesn't seem like she has anything else in her life we don't see her with friends or a partner or anything like that her whole life is her child yeah that's the thing like neither of them really have friends because we see Nina on her own most of the time like she says hello and stuff to the other girls in the in the dance company but there doesn't really seem to be any like warmth or friendship or anything there Erica is yeah she's definitely living vicariously through Nina it very much gives like there was like kiddie beauty pageant vibes when the mum was like, I was I was wanting to be a beauty queen and then like makes the kid do what she wanted to do. Um this is the horror but, version of dance mums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but in some ways I'm like I just think Erica just wants to be in control of her a bit because it's like she kind of pushes her to go like as far as possible possible with the dance. I'm not even sure if it comes from a place of concern, but when she's, like, getting too into it, she just wants to pull her out. Because, obviously, for this show, Nina has to access a part of her mind, personality, that she's never done before. Like, kind of reference the masturbation scene there. She does it in a very juvenile way, like pillow humping is kind of what you do when you're trying to figure out how to do it so even on that side of it she's she's like she's not even masturbating she's not even giving into that urge because she wants to stay in this like pure demure like childlike bubble for the sake of her mum and it's it's sad like I, I don't like seeing people live their life for other people anyway I just think you should live it for you obviously don't be a cunt but don't um set yourself on fire to keep other people warm either um so it's sad that even this like what I would call like a base adult human function she's not been doing it not because she doesn't want to but it's been too late so she can stay childlike to please her mother yeah she's just been it just makes you think like how she's gone on so long without being exposed to any of that so I mean we don't even know but I assume she must have been homeschooled as well probably to be honest because you would get exposed to that at school surely but yeah it's just I feel like with um Nina's mum as well like you were saying she pushes her and pushes her and pushes her to the dance and then takes it away I don't know would I don't know what you think of that, but I think it's maybe jealousy as well. Like she's pushing her and then she realizes, oh, I wanted that. I don't want you to have it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a thing with like mother-daughter relationships. Sometimes it can be a bit strained. Like it's okay when they're kids because it's like, well, I'm an adult and you're the child. But then as soon as they grow up and they start to do things that you you wanted to do, maybe rather than just being happy that the hard work of like raising this child is paid off because they're able to live their dreams they just end up being like oh well that was supposed to be me and like resenting them which is which isn't fair because 
you know, Nina didn't ask to be born, so <laughs> it's not fair. So Erica is like a, a big player in Nina's life up until this point. But um, we have a newcomer to the dance company in the form of Lily. Um, and Lily is like the complete opposite to Nina. Like where Nina is Odette completely, Lily is Odile. She is the free spirited, like sensual person that Nina has to access within herself to really play both of these roles. Um, and Tomai kind of goes out of his way as well to say to Nina while like Lily is dancing, you should be more like her. Um, what what do we think of Nina? Not Nina. Nina's the main character. What do you think of Lily? <laughs> I do like. I think Lily's such an interesting character because, as you said, she is the she is the epitome of the black swan as opposed to the white swan she's very sexually liberated and there's nothing wrong with that either she's proud of who she is and she she's very extroverted as well um and people are just kind of drawn to her whereas with Nina she just kind of shies away like you said she's absolutely the complete opposite so you know as we go through this film that the relationship between them is really interesting and then also when we get to like our final scene and the final performance and like you think it's going to go one way and it doesn't because you know the audience is kind of seeing things through Nina's mind and that's not always what reality is so it's it's quite interesting <laughs> exactly um I really like Lily as well because she just like she knows who she is and I think that's the thing about Nina as well like she is the version that other people have kind of made her to be um you know people want to be your innocent well perfectionist in ballet but and a lot of the times like in society when it's like oh what is an attractive woman and a lot of the the attributes they list off is like it's actually children like hairless being a big one there's no such thing as a hairless woman you only get hairless children um so she she does all these things because she is the way other people want her to be whereas Lily's just herself um and what made me really like Lily actually is after she walks in on Nina rehearsing and kind of sees how stressed out she is and we notice as well that Nina spends more and more time rehearsing because I feel like she's understanding that maybe her mum's not the best person for her and she wants to spend less time at home it's not so much about the rehearsal it's about like not being around her mum so Nina and Lily kind of fall out after Lily says to Toma like give her a break like she's trying really hard and you're working her too hard and because Nina is this like perfectionist who does what she's told it she freaks out and it's like why did you do that and it's just like they just have like a fallen out about it and it, it kind of comes out of to Lily it kind of comes out of nowhere because she's just trying to like defend this nice lassie that she's just made so Lily goes to Nina's house and Erica answers the door she tries to get rid of Lily straight away but when Nina realizes what's happening she decides to accept Lily's invitation to go out for drinks 
and then they have a bit of a wild night on the town and I was so happy when Nina decided to go out and kind of seemed like it was like it was weird seeing her do like adult things for the change because she's always like even with that like bun it's like that's what we dancer girls look like and with our pink like pink clothes on and it just there's something so off about her and this is the first kind of like adult thing she does even with like the clothes like the clothes that she wears it's like the leggings and the like uggs and the shrug it's very prepubescent teen like so to see her going out and like actually having a good time quite you're quite proud of her as well you're like yes get out there so when she's out she's she's drinking she has um a pill of some sort um everywhere I looked told me it was ecstasy I've never seen an ecstasy tablet look like that <laughs> um but it's apparently ecstasy uh, and she just seems to be having a good time um they flirt with these men and Nina's like kissing one of them in the toilet like we've never seen her like kiss somebody because she wants to it's just Toma like forcing himself on her all the time um, and later she takes Lily home then has this massive fight with her mum which quite right it's so creepy that she's just like sitting up waiting for her in the first place I know when she's meant to be like what at least in her mid-twenties and the two go back to Nina's room and Nina barricades the door and then they have sex uh, this is the big scene that a lot of boys got their wee Willy Winkies excited <laughs> over. I mean, I enjoyed it as well, but that wasn't the whole reason I enjoyed the film. <laughs> um, so, like, at this point in the film, because I feel like she's kind of been looking at Lily a lot. Like, do you think Nina is coded as a lesbian? Or, because I, when I came into this, I was like, oh, yeah, Nina's lesbian. Like, she likes women. Uh, but then I seen her like kiss a lot more guys and I was like oh maybe I got this wrong but then again I hadn't watched the film for like over 10 years so of course I'm gonna get things wrong um but what do you think I think she definitely is a lesbian that's dealing with compulsory heterosexuality I think that you know when she kisses Tamaz or like the guys in the clubs and stuff I feel like it's just her wanting to be wanted because she's never seen herself as a sexual being so she's like Hmm. people see me that way I've never had that before so I'm gonna not take what I can get but you know what I mean she's not gonna say no to the opportunities but the guys that she interacts with she doesn't really have a desire for them but she has a desire for Lily like she's the only person I see her like actively looking at and again because she's been sheltered all her life she probably doesn't even really know anything about her sexuality or that hey there's other things out there rather than just being straight so I I think she's a lesbian but she's just dealing with the comp hit which a lot of people in the queer community do no matter if you've been sheltered or not so definitely and like the way her mum is I mean we don't know anything about Nina's dad so we don't know if she's like a project of a one night stand or if he just left or died or what um but I kind of get the the impression that like Erica is similarly like very repressed that way like I doubt she would have seen her mum date over the years so there's like no exposure to like romance or sexuality even that way because it's just been 
hard on our stuffy old mum. Um, so the next day, it's the dress rehearsal. This is what like her and her mum were having a bit of a fight over the night before. And when Nina arrives at the dance studio, she sees Lily dancing as Odile. And this kind of sends her into a bit of a tailspin because she feels like Lily's going to take her role from her. She confronts Lily about the previous night, but Lily denies having gone home with Nina or having a sexual encounter with her at all. Um, so throughout this film, like Nina has, like say, been seeing strange things and reflections. Um, you know, horror was all of a sudden written across a mirror in lipstick. Um, so there's a lot of things in this where it's like, can we really trust Nina? Like Nina's kind of who we live this film through, but she's not, she's like hallucinating a lot. Like, can we really trust what we see? Yeah, your cons at this point is when you start kind of second guessing everything that you're seeing, because you are seeing it through her eyes, but like time and time again, and especially near the end as well like it's hard to tell what isn't what isn't reality but then that's because we are seeing it through her state of mind which isn't stable at all and she's starting to doubt doubt herself as well so um it's revealed that Thomas has made Lily Nina's alternate which again like hurts Nina a lot but it's it's the dumb thing in the theatre as like as well as the ballet we have alternates if just in case something happens um but Nina is so attached to this role that the idea of kind of sharing it is just like not sitting right with her so it's um opening night and she yet again has another fight with her mother and she shouts at her, I am the Swan Queen, you're the one who never left the course. Uh, so the corps de ballet is a group of dancers who are not the principal dancers or soloists. They're, perma- they're a permanent part of the ballet company and work as the backdrop for the principal dancers. So this is again like them having a bit of a, like what we were saying before basically about like Nina, I mean Erica being jealous of Nina, like Nina has become the lead role in something and in Erica's ballet career she never really got out of the core like I'm more familiar with theatre what we would call the chorus like group of actors who like just sing in the background um so yeah like it's again like is Erica really concerned about Nina's welfare or is she actually really jealous of Nina and is trying to sabotage? And we're constantly having to battle that as an as a viewer because it kind of goes back and forth, really. Exactly. Like Nina keeps having these hallucinations. Like she sees people turn into like her as Odile um, as she's trying to access this part of her psyche so she can play this role well. Um but yeah, she's like, she's losing her mind, unfortunately. Um, Erica had told the theatre that Nina wasn't coming, like she's not well enough to come. Um, so Lily is preparing to replace her, but Nina has turned up and she's just like, has it been announced? No. 
So I'm putting my makeup on and I'm getting on the stage. And she, when she enters, like she's a completely different person. Um, it's like Nina has left the building and Odile has taken over at this point. So the first half of the, the first act rather of the ballet happens. Um, there definitely seems to be, I don't know, Nina and Odile are like warring within Nina um, because she ends up being dropped in a hold at one point and Tomago's mental um, and her her dance partner is also like, what the fuck are you doing? Like literally says that um, as Nina is still like fighting within herself. Um, and I think like after this, one of the more shocking parts of the film happens. So um, she goes to her dressing room and finds Lily dressing up as Odile to like replace her in the second half and she's kind of taunting her just saying like oh you were like you were rubbish like I'll just take over because you can't handle it and um, they have a confrontation Nina shoves Lily into the mirror uh, which breaks she grabs a bit of glass and Lily is like transforming into Nina as Odile and Nina stabs her, killing her doppelganger. And then she drags her into the bathroom to hide the corpse and hide what she's done. And um, at this point, I had actually forgot that this is actually a hallucination. So I was like shook you're a shook at your core <laughs> I was um like I just you know I wasn't expecting her to go as far as that no and I think like I'm trying to remember when I first watched this but I can imagine when you first watch it you're not thinking that's a hallucination at that point because of no. how far her mental psyche is gone you're like she could definitely do that so I believed it at that point um yeah because it's that way as well like you just think that she's hallucinating herself onto Lily yeah not that the whole thing is a hallucination um so yeah it's really shocking and you just you don't expect the rivalry to have got that far because it it kind of seems quite fresh as well like it's not that long ago we found out that Lily was the alternate and how much this affected Nina so it does it feels it feels out of nowhere while also not being out of nowhere um Nina is someone who's been very put upon for a long time and I think anybody who's like that eventually just has that break in their psyche and she's obviously had that um so she hides she hides Lily in the bathroom, transforms to a deal for the second act, performs the second act flawlessly, and then while the audience is giving a standing ovation for the second act, Nina just goes up to Toma and it gives them a big old kiss. Um <laughs> which shocks uh, which shocks him in a good way I think he's like oh we finally got 
the ordeal that I've always wanted out of her um but for me it's just like I I saw that and I was just like she's really far gone now isn't she (laughs) I was thinking that as well and also (laughs) like I just want to see said like in the performance bit when she comes back on as a deal the special effects it's almost like an animation thing where that her skin is turning into the feathers that's beautiful yeah like see when she dances with the feathers and then you see like all the ballet movements and where the wings are supposed to go it is actually like quite stunning like they should maybe incorporate that into the actual show I think I don't know if they do because then when you see her like posed at the end you're just like oh I get it like she's supposed to look like a swan like and it's actually really pretty so um after she gives Toma a smooch she goes back to her dressing room and you know she's she sees all this blood leaking she puts a towel down and she's getting ready to transform back into Odette when there is a knock at the door and it's Lily. And Nina is thinking to herself, what the fuck? And so was I. I was like, oh my God, she's alive. Um, and Lily is so sweet to her, which again makes you think how much of our interaction with Lily throughout the film is real or not because at some points in the film Lily is like a like a post sex scene Lily's really fucking horrible to her actually um but she seems so sweet here and just like oh like oh you're doing a really good job well done um what did what did you think when we saw Lily at the door I was shooketh to my core as well. I was like, oh, shit. Um, but yeah, you're right. Because like after the sex scene, Lily is just quite bitchy towards Nina. And you're kind of thinking at that point, you're thinking, oh, is, is Nina right in being a little bit paranoid that she's going after her role? But now after this bit, you're thinking, well, what is reality? And it's the way you're engaging with people actually who they are so it kind of makes you question everything that's gone up until that point I'm like are people actually treating you this way or is it how you perceive things so it's just it just makes you question everything absolutely um so once Lily has uh, left a very confused Nina sees that the mirror is broken but lifts the towel up there is no blood opens the bathroom door there's no corpse but she looks down at herself and sees that there is a piece of glass in her abdomen and she's realized that she actually stabbed herself not Lily um so what did we think of this revelation I really like this I think as you said it's very much a tortured artist and there's these two sides in Nina that are fighting each other like on stage and then it's physically come through this act where she's hurt herself because she she's she's battling between these two sides of her and she can't cope with it so she's attacking herself um because she because she can't she can't handle it and I think that there is a commentary there about womanhood and about how we're expected to be these two things like 
it's most often said in songs like they want uh, a lady in the streets but a freak in the sheets so we're expected to be the Madonna and the whore and if you try and be all these things that everybody else wants you to be it's going to drive you crazy because it's impossible there's also that meme of like if you see a girl like drinking her water going to the gym and like having a great social life doing really well at work she's about to have a breakdown because doing having this like perfect life is so impossible that it is going to drive you crazy you're going to get burnout you are going to feel FOMO somehow you're still going to feel jealous of your friends you're not going to have any time for you which is also important so I think there's like a commentary there about what it's like to be a western woman in the 21st century and even more so now because you know this was released in 2010 and we have the flip phone which made me laugh so much in this oh no um but you know imagine this in a 2022 setting where we have social media as well and as you say everyone portrays this perfect life and especially for women as well as expected like gym selfies and also self-care but also I'm going to go out every weekend and also I'm going to have a social life but also I'm going to talk about self-love and self-acceptance and all this and everything's perfect when in reality nobody's life is perfect and social media is it's a veil you know it's like I know um nobody holding down a job holding down all your friendships a romantic relationship on top of that like having time to exercise like have all these like perfectly healthy meals for yourself having time for self-care I mean there's only so many hours in the day and then making sure you get eight hours sleep on top of that where and then people do that and then people are like oh what's your hobbies it's like bitch how do I have the time I know oh I hate that on social media and not social media like (laughs) dating apps what are your hobbies Sitting on the couch with my cat watching the telly. That's <laughs> what I like to do after work. Because my job's really hard and I'm tired. You're fucking right. <laughs> so yeah, like with Nina, like she's trying to beat all these things with all these people. I'm just like, no wonder she's like behaving the way she is at the moment because it is absolutely impossible to beat all those things with all those people. I think if COVID has maybe taught us anything, at the end of the day, we're all just living on this floating rock and like there should be no set way to live your life. There's no fucking expectations. You know, this whole you have to do X, Y, Z by certain ages or live your life. You know what? If it makes you happy and you're not hurting anyone else, who fucking cares? That's the thing. That's the thing as well. Like we're talking like specifically about ballet in this and how there's a bit of ageism, but you can extrapolate that to like sports in general and how, like we said earlier, like people are expected to retire at these ridiculously young ages. It's just like, look, if you're enjoying it, just keep doing it. Like that's that's it should be the main thing, surely. Like especially if you're good at it, like. If I was good at, you know, for poor Beth, if she was good at 37, she's still good at 38. So just leave her alone. <laughs> leave Beth alone is the plot of this film, basically. Exactly. Um, so Nina 
continues the final act of this ballet, which ends with Odette f- throwing herself, like Odette kills herself in the end. And um, so Nina has thrown herself off this cliff as Odette lands on the mattress. The theatre erupts in applause and Thomas, Lily and all the other dancers come round to congratulate Nina on just like an amazing show. Um, and I think it's Lily who notices that there's, you know, there's something not right and the blood is starting to spread and Thomas is shouting for someone to get help. And um, Nina just replies that she was perfect. And then we get a fade to white, which, like I was saying, this is a like a sister film to The Wrestler. It fades to black in the end. This film fades to white. So we have kind of implied that Nina dies in the end, but a lot of people say that it's more up for interpretation than it being like set in stone. Uh, what do you think of the end of the film? I do get that it's up for interpretation. Um in my personal opinion I do think she dies because she dies for her she dies for her art um but I do love the ending of this this film and she feels like almost at peace you know she's like this Mm. was the role I was meant to play I've given my all that's me done you know what I mean and you know what (laughs) fair enough because she's been through the fucking ringer um so yeah I think I think she dies but I think it's a good end to the film it's sad but it's also realistic in the context of this plot yeah exactly like she set out to achieve perfection and she did so kind of I think this again says to like the the way people are just like I don't know like thrown out and recycled in this kind of industry it's like she's done what she set out to do she has no purpose anymore so she's kind of taken herself out does that make sense yeah she's she's wanting to go on her own terms almost because well we've seen with Beth as well it's kind of like no life after ballet for these performers so she's like I want to go on a high and this is going to be the highest I'm ever going to achieve so I'm going to go in a blaze of glory if you will Thomas calls her his little princess which is the pet name he I know he previously (laughs) gave Beth so that's as well like a signal to her that she was perfect in his eyes because that's what he used to call Beth and he has referred to Beth in this film previously as being perfect um so this film was a massive Oscar film the year that came out it was nominated for five different Oscars um it won one um Natalie Portman won best actress um for playing Nina um well deserved I think since the film came out and like even during the Oscars there was like a bit of controversy but they like the producers behind the film managed to quieten it down until after Natalie won her award and and it's that Natalie actually there's a debate as to how much dancing Natalie Portman actually did in the film so a big part of like her Oscar campaign was the fact that she trained as a ballet dancer for a year and a half um 
which like nobody's disputing that but there is a woman who came forward who was like actually I did all the dancing and they just superimposed Natalie's face onto mine um and there's been debate for years over how much dancing Natalie Portman actually did in the film this woman has come out and said that it's about five percent Natalie whereas Aronofsky has said no it's more 80% Natalie and 20% this woman and they kind of they say that they got their professional ballet dancer out more for like the more technical dancing that's very interesting I mean there's there's no doubt that Natalie Portman would have worked her arse off for this role you know physically training for it but you know like there's you're not a prof- even if you do it for a year and a half you're not a professional dancer at that point so you're gonna have to bring someone in and we see it time and time again you know there's a reason we have stunt performers and we have dancers and all these other people because at, you know there's only so much an actor can do physically unless they've been doing it their whole life you know whatever role they're playing but um yeah that's quite that's quite interesting because this other performer who you know played those parts deserves just as much recognition because she would have also worked her herself and she's a big part of the film as well especially stylistically and visually so she said like in interviews oh she could remember her name like he referred to her as just like she but um she said in interviews and stuff that she did about it she's like she wasn't but really bothered about her getting recognition I think more for her it was that she had been ballet dancing for 22 years she'd been doing it since she was four years old and she just hated the idea of people being like oh Natalie Portman can dance just like a professional after a year and a half of training because she's like countless people have not dedicated their lives to this art form just for us to be told that some person with like no dance background mastered it in a year and a half because it's not possible so I think she was just wanting more respect put on ballet rather than um just someone being like oh it's really easy Natalie Portman did it in a year and a half yeah that that's fair because it is a that would be a slap in the face to every ballet performer out there that's like dedicated their lives to it yeah definitely I think the other tiny bit of controversy this film got into was that it's very similar to the 1940s film The Red Shoes um it's about it's about a ballet dancer who gets these magic red shoes that make her dance to death and her plotline and Natalie Portman's plotline Nina's plotline rather in this film are very very similar like even the shot of Nina doing the pirouettes that always end on Thomas that is taken from the red shoes um, so some people wondered if there was a bit of like plagiarism there but I don't think so I think it's more inspiration and um, so with that being said let's get into the box office um, so last week we were saying like oh these these are the biggest numbers we've ever dealt with in terms of box office okay we've beat that again this week so this the film had a budget of 13 million and it brought in 329.4 million 
dollars at the box office which it kind of surprises me and also kind of doesn't like not every Oscar film gets loads and loads of money at the box office like I would love to know how this charts in the 2010 like box office in terms of like how far up like the top 10 it is because surely god it must be in the top 10 but it was also one of the biggest films of the year I remember this having a really heavy advertising campaign loads of people were talking about it like everybody was talking about Natalie Portman's performance in it like there was loads of buzz about this film and do these figures surprise you no, I mean, like, I, I remember this film being huge when it came out and everyone talking about it and, as you said, about the Oscars as well. So it, it doesn't surprise me that it was a massive hit. I kind of forgot how big of a hit it was till looking at this again. But, yeah, it was a big part of, like, the 2010s. It's probably one of the biggest films of 2010, to be honest. Definitely. Um, so in terms of ratings, uh, it's very highly rated across the board. Eight out of ten on IMDb, eighty-five percent from Rotten Tomatoes critics, eighty-four percent from the audience, and a seventy-nine percent from Metacritic. Um, so yeah, like very, very well reviewed across the board. Um, so with that being said, Lucy, what do you rate Black Swan out of ten? I think this I forgot how good of a film this actually is like the plot is great visually it's stunning the score is great I think Natalie Portman puts on a great performance in this but so does the whole cast to be honest um you know Vincent is our antagonist is just despicable Mila Kunis plays Lily really well and we have Winona Ryder as best so um and again Winona Ryder can do no wrong like we've we've spoken about her so much the past couple weeks I'm so glad to have another film with her in it um but yeah I think this is I think this is a stellar film I think everybody should watch it it definitely is part of the horror genre so I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten um yeah no I agree um I think I think it's yeah, I think I'm going to agree. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 as well. I was like, swithering between an 8 and a 9 there, but I'm going to go for an 8. Um, yeah, I think this is a great film. I think this is a film that deals with a really interesting subject matter. Like, you would think dealing with the psychology of being a ballet dancer would be something that was super niche but they've, like, I don't know, obviously has somehow managed to make this a film that is, like, it would be a really great watch for anybody. And there's bits in this that I think a lot of people can relate to. I think people will be able to relate to bits of Nina's life story. And I just think it's it's quite the thrilling ride this film because you never really know what's happening because of Nina's mental state. So yeah, eight out of ten, really good watch. Um, so will we get on to our second film? Yes, we shall. So our second film of the spooky sleepover is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. <laughs> که پدرتو دوست داری بود جشنه پسر خوبی 
خوب هستی چراغ و خاموش کن نصف شبی کجا بودی؟ ای دختر در تاریکی کنده قد منو نمیدونی چرا دنبال منی؟ چیزی که میبینی دوستی؟ نه از چی هستی؟ من بدم میخوام واسم برخشی اگه الان یه دونه توفان میامد یه دونه توفان خیلی شدید از پشت اون کوه چیزی عوض میشه؟ This film was released in 2014, as we already alluded to before. The IMBD plot is as follows. In the Iranian ghost town Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness, the townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. That's a very cheerful plot synopsis. <laughs> um, the cast for this film includes Sheila Vand, um, Arash Morandi, and Marshall Manesh. This was directed and written by Anna Lily Amarpur, and this is her directorial debut. Um, and kind of, as I'd mentioned before, this film, I don't think it got a cinema release, but it, um, it was debuted at Sundance in 2014, and then it was picked up by Vice Films afterwards. And then like a few years after, it kind of became quite well known in the horror community like I've heard quite a few people speak about this especially in like the past few years is quite a feminist film and obviously stylistically it's quite unique um but you'd never seen this before Lindsay so I'm really curious what you thought of this because it is like such like a different film um what did you think yeah I knew nothing about this before watching it other than the name I'd seen the name online a few times but I had no idea it was Iranian I had no idea it was about vampires I had no idea it was in black and white so very different to what I was expecting like even just based on the synopsis I was kind of it's very different from what I was expecting um I think the cinematography in this film is amazing. Um, but what I will say is for people like me whose minds sometimes wander, like you need to keep an eye on this film. It is one that you really need to watch. Like you can't scroll on your phone while watching this or you're not going to pick up all the little nuances in this film um, because it's a very clever film and you, you need to pay attention to understand it. Uh, so sometimes that lack of dialogue wasn't great for me but because it's so well shot and the cinematography is so amazing it like kind of makes it up for me yeah no I totally get that and it's also a Persian language film so um 
obviously it's not in English so um if Persian isn't your first language and you're watching the subtitles again you have to you have to keep an eye um quite interesting and like I know I'm kind of jumping a bit but um I was having a look at um Anya's other like the like filmography and she's actually partially deaf and that's why she has a lack of dialogue in her films so she's got two other films so apparently that's like a running theme throughout her films is like more about the score as opposed to the script that makes sense because like people who are hard of hearing do still like really enjoy music because they feel like the vibrations of the different tones and pitches and all the rest of it and that's why there's been a big push lately to have more um signers at festivals because there's a lot more hard of hearing people there than you think yeah exactly um so as we kind of alluded to this is an Iranian film it was actually filmed in California um but Anya the director and the writer um she's she says that this film is a representation of her intersectional identity because she's born in the States, but her family is Iranian, um, which I think is really important to note because I think if we were to have an American, an American director and a male director for this, it could definitely be seen as cultural appropriation in my eyes. Um, so I think it's really important to, to note that. But the reason I kind of chose this for women's issues, I thought it was just quite interesting because there is feminist undertones in this film and a lot of people relate this film to another vampire film called let the right one in not the american version the i think it's is it the swedish version the first version i don't know if you've seen the original let the right one in but it is quite similar vibes no it's one of those it's been on my like amazon list forever i think it's the sweet it's swedish isn't it i think it's just called like let me in yeah yes yeah yeah it, yeah yeah, it's been on my list forever, but I've not got around to it yet. Um, so before we get into the plot, um, something that like a lot of people say about the analysis of this film and the reason it was like filmed in the States and stuff like that is because it was without the constraints of censorship that would govern Iranian cinema. Like this would not fly if this was filmed um filled in Iran. And um it challenges quite a lot of Islamic ideals as well and femininity and sexuality and what can be tamed and controlled of women um and we have you know this veiled character and she's just called the girl um she's never actually referred to as a vampire in this film funnily enough as well like they use the word dracula but nobody says vampire but we have we'll get into the the plot as well so we start off and again black and white we have this um, young, hardworking Iranian man who's called Arash. And I don't know if you got this vibe from him, um, but they purposely tried to make him almost like a James Dean character at the start because he's got his convertible, he's in his like white vest. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I was going to say he's very James Dean, like very attractive and he's wearing like the jeans and the white t-shirt like him. And just the way he just like picks up this cat as well, because cats just don't go to anybody. Like cats are very particular because I'm like, I don't know if it's implied that it's his cat or if he just sees it and he just takes it home. Like I don't know. Um, But yeah, he's very, he's very cool, very handsome with his this nice car yeah very much got James Dean vibes being a cat lover I mean that just makes him 10 times more attractive <laughs> oh, I, I saw the cat and I was like oh this is gonna be a nice film <laughs> <laughs> the cat is basically the main character of this film 
I know I love as well that like the cat just basically turned up and they were like we like this cat we're gonna like the cat's a good actor and like it even gets a credit in the film I think that's awesome <laughs> it's amazing love that um so yeah we have um Arash and we find out a little bit more of his home life so he takes care of his father Hosian, who is um a heroin addict he's been struggling with that um he's lost his wife and they're harassed by this horrible drug dealer um, called Saeed, who takes um, Arash's prized possession, which is his convertible, in exchange for the money that his dad owes him. Um, what do we think of the father in this? Because he's really kind of struggling with addiction and Arash is just kind of having to, he's stuck in this situation, which is the cause because of his father's consequences because he owes all this money to this like horrible drug dealer. What do we think of the dad? And then, yeah, what do we think of our said drug dealer? Because he's a, well, he's a, he's a bloody God. piece of work. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe him. He's just, oh, <laughs> that's all I can say, just blah. Um, so for starters, I couldn't believe um, Hossein was played by Vanji from How I Met Your Mother. I kept looking I at him and I was like, I know you, I know you. And then I looked it up. I was like, no way. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. But yeah, I know people have like differing thoughts when it comes to people who suffer from addiction. Like I am very much on in the camp of like feeling sorry for them like having a bit of compassion towards them I don't think anybody when they're younger ever grows up and is like I want to be addicted to heroin because it's not fun for anybody and he's obviously going through a really hard time and yeah as the kind of demon of addiction is it's not just affecting him is it like I think it would be fine if it just affected the singular person but it's also affecting his son now his son goes out and sells drugs to try and make back the money that his dad is spending to feed his habit and then you know he he says Arash says at the start of the film like it's taken him 2,000 odd days to work for this car and I'm sure it works out in like six years or something and then it's just taken from him because of this like demon that his dad has to deal with every single day so I just find it really sad to be honest yeah and also just you can tell that they you know they live in very much like a life of poverty bad city as it's called which then if the name doesn't allude to it anyway it is definitely probably like an industrial city and it's very working class and you know I'm very much of sympathy as well because you know nobody as you said nobody asks to be a drug drug addict and you know think things happen in life and shit happens and you know we don't ask for these things and especially I can imagine an environment like that where you're probably not really given any opportunities or any resources um you know especially coming from a group that isn't white or Christian you know you're you know you're not alluded the same opportunities so um it's quite easy to kind of fall into that lifestyle and then once you are it's it's hard to escape so I do feel for the dads um but then we get these 
scenes with um what well, arash steals um jewelry from the woman that he works for i think it's a pair of pearl earrings to make up for the money because i mean this drug dealer said he's obviously like a very intimidating character we don't know what he's capable of so you can kind of feel for um arash like he his dad's not going to come up with the money you know he's kind of he's forced to do bad things but i don't think he's a bad person we have much worse men in this film than him <laughs> yeah um which we get onto with saeed so he's in he's in his car and from the offset you can tell that this man has absolutely no respect for women um you know he has this woman come to come into his car and she's she's given him a blowy and stuff like that and then we get our first scene of the girl um what did you think of this whole setup because like the way this is shot as well she's just this very like dark figure in the night and I think he's taken quite aback by it to start off with yeah it's super easy because he just like turns his head back for whatever reason and she's there and then he does it again and she's gone and he is like instantly spooked so like I'm not sure of what the laws and stuff in Iran are regarding that kind of thing but probably uh, not very nice and um yeah he's like spooked straight away the way he speaks to this woman as well is vile um like I don't like is she a prostitute or something like is that the deal or has she done something for him already that she's like I want my money like that wasn't very clear to me but um yeah he treats her like absolute crap and just throws throws her out of the car when he owes her money and um yeah just and then like making references to her age and stuff like oh should you not be having a child or something you're getting a bit over the hill fuck off like your face tattoos are shit your facial hair's vile and did you get a haircut with fucking a rusty lawnmower (laughs) or something like he's so minging I hate him and the actor who plays him is also a very handsome man it's just like well whoever did the hair and makeup in this did a really good job at making him look like an absolute dirty creep <laughs> because it he does I think it's a tribal tattoo to top it all fucking off it's a tribal style tattoo so if that's not a red flag to start off with I don't know what is <laughs> um but you're totally right I don't think it's never confirmed if the this woman is a sex worker but I think I think it is I think we as an audience are kind of expected to think that especially when he says about the money thing but he being the little fucking scaredy cat he is like say he pushes this woman and is like you shouldn't be spooked you should be getting on with your job you're only saying that because fucking fragile masculinity is shattered because you've got a bit of a scare I know like he gets a bit of a scare and it just like shrivels up into a little maggot again and he's all embarrassed like go away um so he eventually comes across our character again who has no name just referred to as the girl and um throughout this film we see her in this like black veil in this kind of um it almost like when I was looking in research of the film, they wanted it to appear like she was almost floating. That's why it's like this very floaty kind of, um, you know, this the whole black ensemble of the costume. Um, and she convinces Said to take her home with him. So they go to her, 
his apartment and I think this is probably like my favorite scene in the film um because he's thinking that he's gonna be getting some off of this girl and it's almost play for play of the first scene that we had with him with the with the other woman where and I fucking hate this in films it actually gives me the ick when men put their fingers in women's mouths I fucking hate that I find it's just creepy oh it's because in their fucking tiny neanderthal brains they're just like finger is like willy suck <laughs> finger suck willy it's just like stop it go away the fingers prob- hands out my mind <laughs> the fingers are probably bigger than the willy to be honest <laughs> Um, but yeah, the first scene, he's, he's got this um, woman suck it, sucking his finger or whatever. And then the girl does it back to him. So it's kind of play for play of that. But then she gets her fangs out. This is when we realize she's a vampire. And she goes, jump. And bye, bye, goes the finger. <laughs> I've never heard a more satisfying crunch in all my life. It's <laughs> so good. I just loved it. And he's absolutely shitting himself and even just to add like a cherry on top of the cake so obviously his fingers dismembered she takes it and makes it go in his mouth which is just like yes I love the pettiness of it all exactly she just like knows what his game is all about and just plays it even better than him and I think this is like a really interesting take on, you know, our theme this week of women's issues, because again, it's playing into sexuality, but in a different context of, mm-hmm. you know, where this film is set, especially with the likes of religion, you know, women are, um, and again, I, I, I identify as an atheist, so I'm never going to claim to know anything about any other religion, but from, you know, what we see, what we know, um, can imagine women in Iran are very much repressed it's just about you know the set the sexual dichotomy there is quite an interesting interesting conversation to have what do you think what do you think about that in this film because that's quite a big part of this film as well is like the religious undertones yeah I'm kind of saying like I don't know a huge amount about it so I'm probably not going to comment on it too much because I think a lot of the time what we are fed in the west is that Muslim women are super oppressed yeah. and it's because of Islam but it's not it's like different countries cultural ideas ideology yeah. that isn't being enforced on people because like wearing the burqa and stuff like isn't enforced by law in every Middle Eastern country but it is in some like I'm very against that um and the way like Islam has been warped by these cultural ideologies to the point in the west it's something that a lot of people are very fearful of because all we've been shoved down our throats is a version of islam that does sound very scary but it's also very inaccurate so um i think it does a good job of portraying that i like that some of those countries are like that and it is repressive and it is something that should be hidden away um but I also like how this girl this vampire girl is just like doing back to these guys what they do to the women because I think sometimes and this is just like a more of a general thing like in sexual encounters 
I think men do things to women a lot of the times that they would never have done to them and it could be very aggressive and violent and you know certain positions like and maybe the women's not comfortable with it but they get pushed into it and men just like want more and more and more of women but when you ask for it the other way around it's not always reciprocated so I think it's interesting that this is the angle she kind of goes down she does back to these men what they do to these women yeah exactly and I think it's so I really like the fact that with this character of the girl as well it's not her that's being put in those circumstances it's her fighting for these other women and she's kind of the representation of all this rage and revenge that they should have and like you say it's putting back on them what they they've done to other women and like you're you're so right about that because like in any sexual encounter I don't think it matters where you are in the world you know there is this kind of pre-imposed notion of like dominance and it's like men have to be dominant and there is this kind of like violent undertone and um almost like when we were speaking about revenge last week as well it's quite similar to that um and it's an experience that unfortunately many of us encounter like it's a universal experience of women um regardless of religion or age or sexuality or anything like that like most women have been unfortunately preyed upon by men in some way shape or another um so I I like I I really like the way this film kind of takes that and bites back metaphorically and physically (laughs) um so after we have that scene with the finger um the girl bites down on Saeed and he gets chomped and he's dead um so after this scene um, she passes by Arash and he's come to offer the earrings for his car because he wants to buy his car back. He's the one that finds um, Saeed dead, um, takes back his car keys along with a suitcase of drugs and cash. I mean, fair. You know what? Do what, do what you got to do. I mean, that guy was a piece of shit anyway. Um, and Arash decides to sell the drugs that's in the suitcase so he can quit his job working for Shayada, who we met earlier, who's this wealthy young woman that he works for. And later he goes to a costume party at a nightclub and he's dressed up as Dracula, which I really like because, like, as we said, no time in this film is the the term vampire ever used. So having this, like, kind of corny, cheesy, like, stereotypical what you think a vampire would be and a rash being that, I quite like. Um, And he's persuaded by... uh, Shayada to take ecstasy again a theme a theme of tonight is pills apparently in ecstasy in both films I didn't didn't realize that um and under the influence he becomes disorientated and he gets kind of lost in the streets at night so what do you think of like these scenes and like Arash as a character because we're getting to know him a little bit more and he almost seems like even though he's stuck in these like very horrific situations he's kind of got a little bit of an I don't know if it's an innocence about him but he's he's very likable yeah he definitely is um yeah because like with the situation with the drug dealer like he's very much been forced into that kind of like obviously he's just trying to help and support his dad um it's not like it's him that's doing the drugs and then like we see him 
doing the gardening and it's not really made clear like if he's doing it because he loves it or if he's doing it just like as a job but um yeah when he's stealing stuff from his employers then it's a shame it's obvious that he fucking hates it and wants to get out um I thought it was terrible that Shida did not want to get off with Irene and James Dean and goes after right? this other guy I was like what are you thinking hun <laughs> but I don't know if there's maybe you know the UK is very classist I don't know if there's maybe a similar thing in Iran and they're just like she's just like mm, not with the gardener no I don't think so and wants to go with someone more like her level um her class or whatever but uh yeah I would go with Irene and James Dean definitely <laughs> I don't blame you he, he's a good looking guy probably with it all very handsome so yeah, partly it's like, yeah, do you know what? Steal the drugs off that pen and just sell them and make some money and get the fuck out of there because, you know, it doesn't seem like the nicest place to live. Um, but I thought it was this scene was so funny, like watching him take the drugs. I feel like it's always this thing like, oh, euphoria romanticizes drug taking and all this stuff. But I'm like, he actually looks like he's took something. Um, a lot of times in these films they're just like oh just look a bit spacey and like floaty and that's it it's like no he actually looks like he's away with it in this film so hats off to Anya for directing that like <laughs> making it look more realistic um, and then him being all disoriented afterwards when he's asking the girl he's like where am I and she says bad city and he's like I love in bad city <laughs> That made me laugh so much because I was kind of thing. Be like, that's the kind of thing I'd do. I'd be so confused. Bless. I I do not um want to imagine his come down the next day. Like poor poor lad. <laughs> Hello. Um, but yeah, I just find him a very likable character. Like I said, he I feel like he does these things that are bad, but it's because of the environment he's in, and he doesn't really have any other choice. And really unless he sells these drugs because he's not going to be making very much money as a gardener it's like how are you going to get out you know we see this even in the UK you know in like really deprived parts of the UK and there's next to no government funding and there's no jobs in the area it's like how are you going to get out of your situation when there's nothing available to you so you have to kind of understand why people maybe sometimes go to a life of crime or drugs because it's their only viable way of like actually making some money in the world and getting out not saying it's a good thing but I like it when we have morally gray characters in films because like not everything's black and white and nobody's perfect you know yeah no I agree um so after this um as say bless him he ends up lost on the streets as we sometimes do after a nightclub you know it's after three o'clock you don't know where your mates have gone it's wandering about um so Arash is around the streets and he finds this woman with the chador and she's like listening to music alone in her apartment she's skateboarding um and funnily enough I think it was Anya that actually did those skateboarding scenes because she's a skateboarder herself and that's why she put those scenes in oh yeah because her and Sheila Vand could be twins oh yeah they look so alike I I thought the girl was like Anya Lily Amapur and it's not. <laughs> like the whole time we're watching the film, I'm like, 
Are they sure? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely her, isn't it? But no, that is right. I did read that as well. Um, Anya is doing the skateboarding because she does skateboarding. It's good for her. I always wanted to be a skateboarding girl when I was younger, but I have zero coordination. So like, I'm clumsy on two feet. Don't put me on fucking wheels. Like, <laughs> we, we are just basically in awe of her because um, not only is she a great director, but she can skateboard as well. Imagine she's a triple threat want to know what the other thing is um but yeah so the girl is listening to music alone in her apartment she's also known as the woman with the shador that's what I was saying earlier um and she comes across a rash in the night um he shows like a lot of vulnerability and compassion she feels sorry for him so she takes him home um and they're listening to music and we have a scene where we think she's gonna bite him on the neck but she doesn't she resists it because she's I think she realizes like this isn't a bad guy so it goes Mm. to show that the girl does have a moral compass and you know she's not attacking any man it's men that deserve it yeah she's not Jennifer no (laughs) we do still love Jennifer check though but yeah (laughs) um and they meet the next night and she says to him that he doesn't know the terrible things that she has done. So she obviously feels maybe some sort of guilt for, you know, the murders that she's committed. He's completely unfazed by it, though. He's like, no, like, that's fine. You seem lovely. Um, and gives her the earrings, which is so sweet. Um, and at her request, pierces her ears. However, he pierces them with a safety pin. Now, listen, I don't care if you're using a lighter. That is not sanitary, babes. That is asking for an infection. But it is still a sweet sentiment, I guess. It is. It is cute. But yeah, like, don't do that at home. <laughs> like, please don't. I don't go to Claire's either. Please. Because that's probably worse. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Oh god, I I can't believe that piercing guns are like still a thing, you know. Do you know what? Do you know what? Like back back in the two thousands, I I I had three low piercings. I got all of those except my very first one done at Claire's. So I got two of them done at Claire's, and they did my cartilage piercing. Um, just because like my mom clearly didn't know any better so when I was like I want my cartilage done she took me there and every person piercer I go to like to get something else done in my ear they're always like that's done wrong and I'm like yeah I know like what do you expect me to do about it now <laughs> I got it done when I was 12. <laughs> I saw something fun that I know this is on a tangent but there's there's a youtuber that I like I adore it's called Roly or Rolly. Oh um, yeah, love him. Love him. he does these piercing videos and he put one out recently. And there's loads of people in the comments that talk about their experiences. And there was a girl on it, and I, I can't say if this is for sure or not. Um, but there was a girl in the comments of his last video. It's been like liked and shared loads. She said that she worked at Claire's and the only training that they got for piercing was a half an hour, and they pier- used a piercing gun on a teddy bear. And then she was like, off you go. Oh my God. Yeah, like I saw something similar to that. It was like someone saying about their training at Claire's and they used the piercing gun on a bit of cardboard and that was <laughs> her training or their training. I'm not sure what gender they were. Um. So yeah, it's really scary. Go to the actual piercers who have apprenticeships and worked really hard for years to be able to 
put needles in your body. Exactly. They're the experts. So that's the PSA of today's episode. <laughs> um, so she eventually leaves and then we meet um, a character called Atty who is um, a prostitute who worked for Saeed. So it is kind of implied that he's like a pimp as well as a drug dealer. So we can kind of assume that the girl that we first saw in the start is also like a sex worker, a prostitute. And she's followed at night by the girl um, and they retreat to the prostitute's apartment um, and the woman, the girl, gives Atty the payment that Saeed owed her. So, because so, obviously he, he'd owed her a significant amount of money, um, she gives her the money and they have a conversation during which the girl realises that Atty no longer remembers what it is to feel desired and to feel loved and it's really quite a sad scene. Um, and then she leaves. What did you think of this whole scene? I think it will be unfortunately highly, highly relatable to a lot of people. Um, I think sometimes, and this will be men and women, like people just have sex to feel something and, and they just want that closeness with someone but it's not the same as like Atty says like being desired being loved it's this very short-term transactional thing that depending on how it goes can leave you feeling really like dirty and gross sometimes like I know I've been in those situations before so yeah I think unfortunately relatable (laughs) Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you know, we would never shame we never shame anyone for you know, your body is your right, your temple, if you will. You can choose what you want to do with it, and if you want to sleep with lots of people, you can. If you don't, you don't. Like you know, everybody. That's the power of you know having a right to your own body. If people consent, as long as people are consenting, great. You're not hurting anyone. Go have fun. But as you said. If you're looking for something else out of it, which it isn't, I can imagine it can be quite heartbreaking. Um, so it is, it's it's a sad scene. But as you said, it is relatable to a lot of people, you know, as humans, um, as introverted as some of us may be, and say we don't need people. We are like as a species, we like to herd, we like closeness, and we like to be in groups and we want to feel wanted. And sometimes people see sex as a means of having that but sometimes as you said it's just a fleeting moment and then reality kind of hits you again after and you're like oh shit that's it it's like after the kind of initial dopamine serotonin rush or whatever of like having sex and then it's gone and then you're just on your own again and it's like after a certain period of time it's it doesn't hit the spot like it used to and I feel like like that's where Assy is at like these like transactional moments with other people they're just like not making her feel the way she once did and it's because she needs something more tangible and not these one night stands basically exactly um you know the girl doesn't judge her for this at all she sympathizes for her as well and is trying to give her a means of getting out by giving her the money that she's rightfully owed um then after this 
we go back to um Arash's dad who's going through withdrawal and like at first like the thought of the scene it sounds quite humorous but it is actually a very heartbreaking scene the poor cat is like standing around and he believes that the cat is his dead wife like he's going through these hallucinations and he's like shucking all the like photos of his wife and everything like that and it's it's pretty heartbreaking actually I don't know if you thought that so I know sometimes like especially last week we laugh at stuff that we really shouldn't and this kind of sounds like it might be one of those scenes but it actually isn't for me anyway I actually find this pretty pretty sad yeah like see withdrawal scenes on tv shows like I like I always find them quite hard to watch because it just seems like the most awful experience ever and again it's like I don't think anybody takes drugs alcohol whatever with the intention of getting addicted to them you know it's just something different in the chemical makeup of someone's brain that makes them an addict or not um and then to see somebody go through such excruciating physical mental emotional pain to try and get off it I always find it really hard to watch yeah it's just it's heartbreaking and I'm even thinking like looking back at euphoria as well like that was so hard to watch especially this season some of those withdrawal scenes and stuff like that as you mentioned it it's 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 you have to feel for people because the agony that they're going through is just undescribable um Arash finds his dad obviously suffering from this withdrawal he's like throwing all these pictures he's destroying the the place and he's kind of at this point throwing his hands up and he's kind of like I, I'm done with you like I've done I've done what I can and he gives some drugs and money throws him out tell them to take the cat with him he's like you can go you take the cat if I were him I'd have kept the cat with me I don't think I would give my cat to somebody that's going through withdrawal but fair enough um and Hosein goes to Atty's place and forces her to take heroin with him this is a really hard scene to watch actually she clearly doesn't want to do it and he's like we're gonna have a good time we're gonna have a good time she doesn't have any say in the matter he forces her to do that and um after this the girl the girl shows up um sees what's happened to Atty and kills kills Hosian. so what do you think of this because like as we mentioned we felt sympathy for him but then he's inflicting what he's been through on someone else so do you feel like his death is justified? In terms of the girl being a like, de facto protector of Atty, she sees Atty in danger. She's going to deal with the person who put her in that danger. Um, but again, it is he's kind of this like morally gray character like obviously what he did was wrong it's kind of implied that maybe Attie used to be an addict as well like I don't I got the impression that maybe this was something they used to do together at one point um but he ties her up and injects her and it's really fucked up like it like it's another really hard scene to watch because She's saying no, 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 and she there's nothing she can do about it. And I think as well she feels in a bit of a bind because this is someone she likes, maybe cares about, and I don't think she wants to do anything violent to him, like shove him away. 
Um, so she ends up in this situation where she has this thing injected into her. And when I was watching it as well, it's like, he's high. And like, I got the impression anyway, that she was a former addict. I don't know about you, but I was getting really paranoid that he would like inject her with too much drugs and then kill her. Cause I like, honestly, yeah. I don't think that was his intention. Like we don't know the purity or anything of these drugs. And it's just like any little thing, like he could actually accidentally kill her. So it was like actually really nerve-wracking to watch because you don't, you know, I was just like, oh my God, he's going to kill her um, by accident when he just wants someone to be high with. But, you know, they shouldn't have been injecting people when they don't want to be injected. Yeah, exactly. I also got the impression that Ati was probably a former addict as well. They've maybe done this together before. Um it's interesting because it, it's, I mean, with the first death with Saeed, you, I, we all feel like he deserves that. And it was kind of yeah. like, yes, yeah, you, you go, girl. <laughs> like, he deserved it. But for this, it's like, I can kind of see both sides. What he did is horrific and it's wrong and it's not right. Um, I feel like he was looking for some companionship in Atty because he's thinking about his dead wife and he's just wanting someone to be with. And I kind of... I was really worried that scene was going to go into a sexual assault or a rape as well. Like I was a bit like, is that the tone it's going to take? But it wasn't. It was just he wanted somebody to be high with, which I'm really glad they did that because, you know, there was with Saeed, there was the sexual undertones and him like harassing women. So I'm glad that this bit took a different route. Um, But yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it's kind of like you could debate it for hours, you know? which is what I like about it, like say morally grey, there's no kind of right right or wrong, well, right or wrong. Um, so after this, um, as the girl kill, kills him, Atty helps her dispose of his body, tells her to take the cat and leave. Um, so it's the next morning and Arash discovers his dad's body. He's really distressed and he runs to the apartment of the girl and begs her to run away with him. He, want, he wants to get out of Bad City. She's gathering up her things. The cat comes back. Our favourite, the main character of the film. <laughs> um, and Arash realises that she had something to do with his father's death. Because at this point, he doesn't know what's happened to his dad. He's maybe assuming that he took an overdose because he did leave those drugs and the money there for him. That would be the first thing that you you know, you know think of. Um, but he still goes away with her anyway. So Arash and the woman drive off together. But he pulls off to the side of the road because he's really unsure what to do at this point because, you know, this person has killed her, his father, or at least he thinks so. But at the same time, he knows his dad also wasn't a perfect person either. So he's really kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But he eventually decides to get back in the car and then they continued their road trip together. What do you think? Like, it's a really hard situation to put yourself in but would you be like okay let's go off into the sunset together or would you also be like oh I don't know what I should do it's it's such an interesting ending because I could imagine sometimes people who are family members of addicts perhaps thinking that maybe the best thing for them would be for the unfortunate to happen because then they would be at peace they wouldn't be struggling with this addiction anymore because we don't know the background we don't know how long the dad's been dealing with this for and we don't know if it's been very up and down 
you know, we, we don't know what Arash's childhood was like if he was an addict then and how chaotic things can be because of addiction. So I don't know if maybe that was on his mind that, well, at least he's at peace now. He's with my mum. He's not addicted to drugs anymore because he's no longer living. It's a weight off for me. And I'm sure that comes with some guilt as well that he no longer has to stress about it. But then feeling guilty for thinking about someone that you love that way. Um, so yeah, I can imagine that his mind is an absolute like roller coaster of emotions. But then I also kind of love this like ending of the film. There's like no dialogue. No, there's no dialogue at all. all. So it very much like leaves the audience to be like, oh well, what's the girl thinking? What's the rash thinking? What's the cat thinking? Um, like, <laughs> what happens when he's like what, what's going through his mind when he steps out the car and he kind of like paces a little bit has a thing then gets back in and it's really just like entirely up to you like you could ask 10 different people and have 10 different answers I think that's really interesting I kind of like how uh, like Amapur has done that because I think it makes it more interesting as well than being spoon-fed like this is what a rash really thinks about what the girl's done and what he thinks about his dad and all the rest of it like sometimes just leaving it to your own imagination is more interesting yeah, exactly the audience definitely isn't spoon-fed in this film you're kind of left to your own imagination your own devices to kind of think what the characters what the characters are thinking of that moment you know you're not told it um but overall you know you said that ending is quite interesting what did you think of the film when you finished it like what were what were your thoughts did you enjoy it were you just like what what was this or (laughs) I did enjoy it but the only thing was I was kicking myself that I maybe didn't watch it twice before reviewing it because there's there's a lot more going on in this film than you think and Mm -hmm. I think it maybe needs that second watch to take it all in but I did really enjoy it it's like very different like I said even from the description it's like this was nothing like what I was expecting to watch at all um yeah and I like that it's like an Iranian American production and it's a lot of Iranian American actors and stuff who work on it because like you say there's not that censorship I mean at one point you see the girl nude it's like you would never see that if it actually came out of Iran yeah um, whereas it's Iranian from America so we get like the cultural side of it without the censorship or like any sensitivities around nudity or drug taking and things like that. So it's a it's a really interesting production and like definitely one if you're a film fan in general, it's definitely a film you should be putting on your list. Yeah, exactly. I'm really glad you liked it though, because like I said, I like I didn't know how you were going to take it. Not that I had faith in you. Don't go me wrong. You know, we're, we're allowed to disagree and we do disagree sometimes. Like, you know, if you disagree, that's totally fine. If you don't like this film, every opinion is valid. But if you like art house style films, this is definitely for you. But like, even if you watch it and you might not necessarily like it at first, I would say give it a second watch, as you say, because it's one of those films kind of like, Midsummer, if you want to put it to something that's maybe a bit more mainstream, you know, it's it's one of those things where you don't really appreciate it till you watch it again because there is not as much dialogue and a lot of it relies on visual cues. Um, and I think going into it, 
knowing what had happened, you can maybe pick up things again and pick up things that are going on with characters and because you know a little bit more about their history and background. We mentioned already quite a lot of the um, like trivia and stuff like that, but a couple of things that I want to mention as well as the themes of the film. Um, we've talked a lot about the direct director, um, Anna Lily um, Amapur, and she talks a lot about the mythology of vampires, saying that, you know, a vampire can be so many things, a serial killer, a romantic, a historian, a drug addict. They're kind of all in one. Um, and she really wanted the protagonist to be this kind of like anti-hero. And she roams the streets at night without being concerned for her safety, subverting the implication of the film's title. Because when you hear that a girl walks home alone at night, you know, as women, we're told all the time, don't walk home alone at night, or if you do, and I do this, you know, you have your keys in your hand, or you have your location on for your friends, it's always that thing where we shouldn't have to be scared to walk home at night, but it's 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 very much a thing, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, definitely, like, from the title of this film, you would maybe actually think it would be, like, a rape revenge or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally subverts your expectations. Like this girl who's walking alone at night, you know, has nothing to be afraid of. Everyone should be afraid of her. Exactly. And then in terms of the genre of this film, so apparently it's inspired by a genre called spaghetti westerns, um, featuring like a mysterious lone anti-hero that's like a bit of a vigilante. But this is it reimagined because the genre nine times out of ten has um a male lead so it's very rare to have a female lead so that's why Anna wanted to do that and have it as like this western vampire film um it's also quite like German expressionism so it's inspired by Nosferatu and I definitely get those vibes from it as well I've never seen anything like this it's so unique I feel like it blends mm -hmm. a lot of different genres and it's not what you would think of when you think of um when you think of a vampire film so yeah is there anything else you want to say to say about this film? And to be honest, we could probably do an episode just on this, but um, I've kind of said like everything I want to say. I don't know if there's anything else, like your thoughts on this or are you wanting to get into the box office and the ratings? Yeah, let's get into box office and ratings. Cool. So um, as I mentioned before, this didn't get a, a cinema release. It, it went down the uh, festival circuit. So we don't have... I don't actually, I couldn't find anything about the budget, but I would assume that this is relatively low budget, especially because this is a directorial debut as well. Um, but it did manage to gross $628,000, which is pretty good. I mean, it's over half a million and considering it's a festival film, I think it's found quite a bit of success. Um, now that it's on Prime, I would love to see this on Shudder, to be honest. I think, I think it should get on Shudder. Um, I think it has done well, but I feel like it's it, it gets talked about a little bit more now in the horror community, but it's still really underrated. I mean, would you think, I think this is an underrated film. It's an indie film, but it's still underrated. Yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like this is on a lot of, like, the the art house kind of streaming services, like um, movie and things like that and I, I agree like I really think it could do with being on Shudder so that more people give this a watch because 
yeah I think it's like very much got its art house audience but it needs its horror audience as well because at the end of the day it's a vampire film it is a horror film and horror film fans should see this yeah exactly especially if you're a fan of vampire films if you're a fan of like early like 20s 30s 40s horror I think this would be right up your alley in all honesty Mm. um and in terms of the ratings um this actually did quite well which I'm 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 happy to see so I mean in terms of IMBD they gave this a 6.9 out of 10 but Rotten Tomatoes the critics fucking loved this film they gave it a 96 percent the audience gave it 75 and Metacritic gave it 81 so overall, even though it is rather underrated, it is well-received. Um, but Lindsay, what are you going to give A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night out of 10? I'm going to give this film a 7 out of 10. Uh, I love the cinematography in this. I love our vampire character who goes out like seeking justice for um, this woman that she's like a guardian angel type figure for um I feel like we could all like there's a lot of women out there who kind of wish they had a vampire guardian angel who takes out (laughs) men who are horrible to them um I think this is a must watch if you're like big into film like not everyone's gonna like this there's kind of a lot going against it in that it's like it's black and white it's foreign language but if you're like really really into your films you really need to give this a watch because it's like one of the most unique films I've ever seen and it you should definitely watch it exactly um no that's that's good I'm I'm happy with that rating um I'm gonna give it a little bit higher um I was kind of going back and forth on this because I was like should I give it a really high score because of the lack of dialogue but I think I don't miss the dialogue in this. I mean, you like so you have to work to watch this film, but I think you do reap the benefits of it. I think this is so unique. I've not seen anything like this. Um, so I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten because I really, really enjoy this film. And I think it it more people need to watch this and more people need to give it love. Um, it's a feminist film, it's an art house style film, and you know, it's written and directed by a woman. So I thought you know, great film for Women's History Month and Women in Horror. Um, so I'm really glad we had the the opportunity to, to watch it. So yeah, nine out of 10. But on that note, that's the end of this week's episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed. Um, next week again is going to be a bit of a surprise. We're teasing you this month. Sorry, not <laughs> sorry. But yeah, we will be off gallivanting next week as well in Newcastle. So um, I'm sure you'll have some stories from that. Um, but yeah, if, unless there's anything else you want to say, Lindsay, shall we get out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Right. Enjoy your week, folks. Stay spooky. Have a great one.